When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. All right, all you guys and gals out there, players and playerettes, dudes and dudettes, we are getting this out just a couple days late because Murph had the audacity to decide he needed to make money and continue his retirement. He had to pay for his pool, so he decided to fly off and go somewhere and be a capitalist imperialist pig. So what'd you do? Where'd you go? And how come you weren't here when we needed you? Well, you know, the whole idea of this, everything we do is so that the Murphys don't have to eat cat food in retirement here, so... We're getting close. It's been a lean two years with COVID. But uh, Javier and I went down to the Dallas, Texas, uh, spoke to the Young Presidents Organization down there, a group of fantastic people. I mean, we've done a lot of EOs and YPOs uh, around the world, and they're always the best audiences. They have a great time, uh, excellent food, you know, bars open for everybody, and they always have these cool venues. This place in Dallas, I mean, it looked like a the artwork in there was unbelievable. They had helmets from World War One and World War Two and Europe, and just a really fun time, really fun time. But if you listen, listeners, if you hear Morgan a little bit sad in his voice this morning because he's not quite as energetic as usual, well, he's having a sad day today. So tell us about that, Mister Morgan. It's a sad day after. <laughs> Get your tissue. Actually, my wife actually shed a couple of tears. So, you car enthusiasts out there will understand this. So, my uh, oldest boy. Got a few too many tickets, and he'd only had this one car for like eight months, literally, and his insurance was going through the roof. Oh, jeez. It was a 2000 Camaro Supersport, silver, black top, T-tops, original, a real uh, Supersport, had the what's called the LS1 engine in there, mm-hmm. uh, had the SLP upgrades, um, had the three-and-a-half-inch what's called cat-back exhaust, so bigger exhaust from the catalytic converter cat-back. Better than the two-inch exhaust that was on there. Make it sound like awesome. And I put just new tires and rims. We've kept this in the garage for 17 years. I mean, we take it out. It's got less than 4,000 miles a year on it. Wow. Um, yeah, we would just take it as touring. And uh, um, But bought the new Telluride. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a 2021 Kia Telluride uh, this last May. It's coming up on a year now. Wow. And... Uh, but it was one of those things, you know, we had more cars than garage spaces, and my wife needs to park her vehicle in the driveway. we got to get it out of the street. And I had to sell it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I, I put it on Facebook. Uh, I dealt with some idiots. I'm sorry, folks, if you're out there. I put it clearly in there. I said, first of all, price is firm. And then second of all is no trades. Because people say, hey, I'll trade you this for that. Dude, I'm not uh-huh. interested in trading. I'm interested in getting rid of cars, not you know, right. keeping the same right. number of cars. <laughs> so, but hey, tell you what, you, you, you perseverance and stuff. So after two weeks of being on there and all sorts of weird ass messages, had a guy from Miami going, I'll fly up, you know, I'll fly. Just tell me when I'm going to come in. There. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I don't know who scammers. you are, but yeah, th- th- we ain't doing that. So, but I'll tell you what I found. I found a son and uh, a father and the father is a true enthusiast. When we met, he showed me pictures of the 
Corvette Z01 he had. He showed pictures of previous muscle cars he had. Mm-hmm. He's, he does pretty well. He's got a construction business. They build schools uh, all over Maryland. And his son, you could tell right away, good kid. And his, he, he and we had some discussions. So it was like they had been looking at Camaros. This was the best one they looked at because my paint is basically flawless. The body's in great shape. No dings. No dents on the side of the door like you get when people open it up because I always parked away from people. And plus being in the garage, no leaks. You know, I had the whole Carfax record just pristine. And I had to sell it. Actually, I think people park away from you instead of you away from people. <laughs> Doesn't matter. The effect is the same. Stay the hell away from my car. I do the same thing with my Telluride, too. My wife, I'll drop her off. Like, we'll go to Costco. I'll drop her Uh off, and then I'll park in the next county. Oh, that's... (laughs) Connie's... Sometimes I drop her off, and sometimes I don't. She's like, why are we parking in the North 40 out here? I don't want people touching my car. But anyway... My truck. Don't mess with my truck. Don't mess with my truck. So anyway, folks, that's that's why I'm sad today. But anyway, I'm happy because uh, I'm going to – we have a case of the month, and Murph doesn't know exactly what it is yet. I think you do. You just forget. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad to be here on Thursday. Yeah. Oh, it's so, Saturday. Um, it? Yeah, it's Saturday. Whatever. It's Yeah, <laughs> we're getting this out. So um, we, an episode that's coming out this next Monday uh, is Ted Dolan. Ted was the inspiration for uh, Canines for Cops. His dog, Black was killed during a search for some burglars. But kind of, <laughs> so what am I, so so Ted piles on with uh, Murph and they start making fun of troopers. And it's like, <clears throat> okay, I have to do something to redeem troopers in your eyes. So I have the case, Murph. Okay. That when I get done, you're going to have newfound respect for troopers. We'll see. No, you will. Uh, and trust me, this is, a, I don't want to make light of the case because it was a very significant one. Um, we were hoping to record this, and like I said, Murph had to take off and leave me. But I had to go um, work. <laughs> yeah. But April 19th, 1995, was the Oklahoma City bombing. So we just had the 27th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. And there is, it's personal to me for a few reasons that you'll find out. Uh, I had, as we, I was at a law enforcement conference in Orlando, Florida, by the way, a two-week conference, when the bombing happened. And uh, so a lot of us were like, uh, you know, a couple guys actually from Oklahoma had to leave. They were mm. on the next plane out of there. So, but then as the investigation goes on and you started realizing the ties back to Kansas, then I started realizing the the ties. So anyway, the reason I want to talk about this, a lot of people have heard about the Oklahoma City bombing. And people know uh, that uh, Timothy McVeigh was stopped by an Oklahoma Highway Patrol uh, mm-hmm. trooper, Trooper Charlie mm-hmm. Hanger. But a, a lot of people don't know exactly how the FBI was able to identify Timothy McVeigh and arrest him before he got out of jail. And let me tell you, Murph, had it not been for a couple, and and I've listened to the video, I've heard Charlie Hanger speak before, he calls it divine intervention. Had it not been for a couple strange things that happened, McVeigh would have made it out of jail and may have been very impossible to find. Hmm. But he did not make it out. So, I mean, so let, let me walk you through. Um, kind of what happened, because everybody realized, you know, 9.02 a.m. on April 25th, uh, I mean, April 19th, uh, 1995, um, it was the Oklahoma City bombing. And so what happened was Charlie Hanger was working out of area called Noble County. And once this happens, he got dispatched, said, hey, look, uh, you need to head to Oklahoma City. And of course, he starts doing that. Then he started heading that way. And they said, no, uh, you need to remain in your patrol area, go back to, you know, regular traffic enforcement and do that stuff. So a little bit of background on Charlie Hanger. Um, 
Charlie was kind of like me. Some people would say, said, kind of by the book, said, you'd write your own mother a ticket. And I said, negative. I would never write my own mother a ticket. However, I would hold her, call another trooper, and have that trooper issue the ticket. So <laughs> people would say, you're heartless. No. But uh, but Charlie Charlie was uh, by the book. In fact, a funny story about Charlie Hanger is that he was called to a he was testifying in a jury trial one time, uh-huh. and the twelve people who were finally seated, uh, they said, you know, any of you guys got a ticket before? Ten of the twelve people on the jury had all been ticketed by Trooper Hanger, uh, by the same person. <laughs> Holy! And he's an Oklahoma trooper. He's an Oklahoma trooper. Yeah. So uh, on the uh, just on a regular jury trial, you know, not the Oklahoma City one, but yeah, on yeah. a regular jury trial, yeah. Holy Ten cow. of the twelve people ended up all, and they still found the guy guilty. So you know, <laughs> I, I'm surprised the prosecutor didn't strike them all. <laughs> yeah, well, y- y- that's what you thought, but I, you know, may have been that he wrote everybody tickets. So this was the ten that they, you know, there was only uh, two left that hadn't been written tickets. So yeah, he's waiting on them when a guy out of the courtroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through. I actually have the actual trial transcripts from the federal trial. And uh, I pulled some interesting things out of that because there's a lot of things that have to happen for uh, for them to finally get back to Timothy McVeigh before he's released out of jail. But basically, like we said, it starts, you know, the explosion happens. Nobody knows what's going on at that time. Mm-hmm. Of course, what, you know, first thing we think, we think a foreign terrorist, you know, some kind of foreign group maybe uh, that's responsible for this. But they don't know because it's just chaos. And we actually have an episode coming up uh, with the FBI agent who worked the pizza bomber case. And it was the same thing he said. It's just all chaos, you know, yeah. just chaos. And as you start managing it, you finally get into an investigative rhythm, but it's just chaos at the beginning. And obviously, this one's huge because 168 people were killed, 19 of them children. So this is this is a huge case. And the FBI uh, name for the case was Oak Bomb, O-K-B-O-M-B, Oak Bomb. So anyway, Charlie's working this. And uh, he is he's called to help. A, they, they get a report of a broken down vehicle. So he's there and then he's trying to get back to his area. But he he's going pretty fast, you know, get back to his area because he's got to he's got to get back on patrol. He was headed towards Oklahoma City. Now he's headed back and he's about 35 miles from the Kansas, Oklahoma border on I-35, mm-hmm. which becomes very important. Um so he pulls he's starting to pull around this 77 uh Mercury. And as he's pulling by it, he gets past it and then realizes this thing does not have a tag on it. So that's the initial reason for this. So he stops, lets the car pass him, pulls him behind him, and pulls him over. Well, so when you're calling those in, I can tell you, and Murph, I know you did that too, uh, you know, mm-hmm. back in, uh, you know, back in the hills of West Virginia. That's right. But, that's right. That's right. But you get vehicles, so what you had to do is you had to give it a description, like, you know, one white male, uh, you know, yellow uh, mercury, you know, four-door approximately 75 to 80, you know, whatever. You have to give them a description because if something happens, they have to have something to go on. So it's a mm-hmm. 77 mercury. Uh, he's got this thing pulled over. And and in his own words, from the articles and from his statements and gifts, he says, there was something, he just felt something hinky about this. He wasn't sure what it was. So uh, he's approaching, but as he gets up there, McVeigh is also getting out of the vehicle at the same time. And, you know, I, personally, I prefer for people to stay in the vehicle until I tell them to get out because I don't want them, you know, with the ability to confront me. You know, you kind of right. want to control it, right? Right. So, but they meet at the back of the car. And, of course, you know, Charlie says, Trooper Hanger says, hey, the reason I stopped you is there's no registration. Um, I need to see your driver's license. 
And so he reaches, he's got a jacket on with a t-shirt underneath, and he reaches into his uh, back pocket to uh, his of his jeans to pull out the wallet. And what Trooper Hanger says is that when he does that, you know, when you reach your arm back and you've got mm-hmm. a jacket on, it tightens up the jacket, right? He yep. saw the imprint of a weapon, what he thought was a gun. So he says, he says, hey, basically, okay, stop right there. Unzip that jacket a little bit. And when he does, he grabs that bulge, pulls out his gun. And he says he does. He says he screws it into the back of the guy's head, basically puts it into the back of his head mm-hmm. and says, don't move. You know, gets him at the back of the trunk. And uh, he starts to, you know, he unzips the rest of the jacket, grabs the weapon. And when he does, McVeigh, this is, this is one of the lines actually out of court. And he's, so when he gets him, uh, let me see, I'm pulling it up right here. Um, Oh, yeah. So he's asking me, says, you know, why didn't he have a tag? He says, well, I don't have a bill of sale. He said, I said, could you provide me a bill of sale? He said, well, the man I bought the car from is still filling out the bill of sale. And Hanger says, well, how long does it take to fill out a bill of sale? So anyway, this is exactly what happened. What happened? And I'll read. Let me just read from a little Mm -hmm. bit of the transcript because you see how these get started. Question. What happened after that? Answer. As he was going to his right rear pocket to retrieve his billfold, he had on a blue windbreaker type jacket that was just slightly zipped. So when he went to his pocket, it tightened this jacket up somewhat, and I could see a bulge under his left arm. And I thought the weapon, uh, and I thought that was a weapon under his arm. Question: What did you do at that point? I looked at the driver's license, looked at him, then I instructed him to take both hands, unzip his jacket, and to very slowly move his jacket back. He did that, and then as he was uh, slowly started pulling it back, just as he started doing it, he said, "I have a gun." When Mr. McVeigh said that he told you had a gun, what did you do? I grabbed for the bulge and I said, put your hands up and turn around. Did he comply? Yes. What happened then? I removed my pistol from my holster and I stuck it to the back of his head. Mm-hmm. And this is this is one of the most iconic lines out of the trial. He said, what happened then? Or he said, I instructed him to walk to the trunk. Where was your gun at that point? It was stuck in the back of his head. Okay. Did Mr. McVeigh say anything to you as he walked to the back of the automobile? Yes. What did he say? He said, my weapon is loaded. What was your response? I said, so is mine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because if it ain't loaded, it's a paperweight. It's not a weapon. (laughs) And what's more, one of Morgan's pet peeves of these movies, right? Oh, yeah. Is when they go to rack around into it. You always always carry it loaded, right? Yeah. You know, and, and in the movies, it's either the good guys or the bad guys. Both of them do that. Nobody carries a, a round in the chamber. Yeah. Ridiculous. Well, it, so, like you say, it's no good at that point. It's just a bludgeon. You know, it's a blunt mm-hmm. instrument. So we also had a, found out he had a knife and a spare uh, uh, a clip on him. And uh, But Murph, you'll appreciate this. He had some regular like ball ammunition, you know, a full metal jacket, mm-hmm. uh, just stuff, you know, for shooting. But he had a 45 the 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 rounds that were loaded in his weapon were 45 black talons wow wow so he right. had a glock is that right yeah he had a glock so 21 is um, what i'm saying yeah so uh you mr firearms instructor why are black talons a little bit uh those why does are, that get the wow factor from you yeah those are uh Commonly referred to as cop killer bullets, they uh, will go through body armor. Those are designed to kill people. That's all they're for. Yeah, that's that's so that's so he didn't know that till he unloaded it later. But he said, well, he said, but did you notice anything about this bullet when you removed it from the chamber? Yes, it was a black talon round, forty-five caliber. What's a black talon? Um, it, obviously, mushrooms produces te- tentacles, is what he said. But yeah, it's 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 definitely, and it's got. 
those things are designed, like I said, in the old days, too, they could penetrate some of the older body armor because they Mm -hmm. weren't as good as it is today. I I think they're Teflon-coated, if I remember right. Some of those might have been Teflon-coated, and that's that's the other thing, too. Teflon is designed to slice right through that Kevlar. Um, But anyway, so what happened was he he gets him arrested. He's got his driver's license with his real name on there. This is going to become important. It's got his real name and date of birth on there. Now, here's here's the part people don't get, and this is why this was so important, and this is why one of the things when I was working on at the Department of Justice on the case, I wanted to change this because as an investigator, I knew what the value of this information would be. But Steve, you know, when, when you worked on a case, did you ever have occasion to um, take somebody's name and check it historically through what was called NCIC offline? Oh, yeah. 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 So NCIC offline, basically what it is, is if I were to stop Murph on the side of the road as a trooper, which we know he doesn't like troopers, makes fun of them as much as the FBI, but which <laughs> means like you're troopers. getting a ticket, pal. If I'm stopping you, you're getting a ticket. I like troopers. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> but if I run Steve's name and it comes back, no record is like, in other words, he's not wanted. There's no warrants out for him. You know, there's no entry. The the part that always frustrated me was it went into a database and it went to an offline basically database. Right. And it didn't do anybody any good because if Murph gets stopped, you know, two days later by another agency, say in Colorado, and he says, You've been stopped anywhere, he could say no. There was really no way to check to see has he been stopped somewhere else. You would have had to do and these searches at that time were kind of manual. You had to mm-hmm. call in, make a request. I don't know about you. When I was doing them on a couple cases, I mean, it took me sometimes five to ten days to get results back. It's ridiculous. There's there's nothing speedy about it whatsoever. But it's like you said, it's because of the manual search. Things weren't automated then. So Timothy McVeigh's name goes into the NCIC offline database, and that's so. Here's what's interesting: is that so his name is run on the side of the road. Uh, the VIN number, the vehicle identification number is also checked. He's got no registration. It's not registered in Kansas. It's not registered in Colorado. Uh, and he had an Arkansas safety sticker. It's not even registered in Arkansas. So there's no record on the vehicle. So he gets him. He's got his identification. He checks him. And uh, they had uh, no criminal history. And what happened was when Charlie, uh, you know, Trooper Hanger had got the gun, he threw that on the side of the road along with the extra clip and stuff. Mm-hmm. When he arrested him, he takes that stuff and puts it in the trunk of his car. Now, here's what's interesting. Things have changed because if if I, uh, you know, personally, or if I'd stopped you and your vehicle had no registration, had no insurance, that thing's getting towed. Mm-hmm. But I think because what I really think was because of what was going on that day, uh, because it's Oklahoma City and the bombing. He basically says, look, I can tow it and inventory it, or I can leave it on the side of the road. If I leave it on the side of the road, it's at your risk. You know, it's at your choice. And McVeigh says, yeah, just leave it on the side of the road. So they leave it on the side of the road. Um, but when he gets into the car, he he originally advises him of his rights off of a Miranda card. And McVeigh says, yeah, I'll talk to you. He says, why didn't you have a tag? Here's, here's, the, here's a key thing that ties him back to what's going on. Of all the places he could say that he bought the car from, he says Junction City, Kansas. Junction City is going to be very important here in a little bit because that is where they actually, um, the rider truck is rented from. That's mm-hmm. where a hotel he stays at. And that's how they identify and get his name and tie him to this. And I'll walk you through that here in a second. So he said he gave $250 for the car because his car broke down. Firestone dealer, guy, dude named Tom. Of course, we've all been that. What's his name? Tom. Okay. <laughs> It's like who works for the CIA, Paul. 
Paul, Mike, Bob, <laughs> Tom. He said he hadn't had a chance to get the tag. So, uh, and, and here's the other thing, too, is Trooper Hanger says, can I search your car? And McVeigh goes, yeah, sure. One of the most important pieces of evidence does not come from McVeigh's car. It comes from what happens while Trooper Hanger is searching McVeigh's car because... Hey everyone, this is just a portion of what you're going to hear when you join patreon.com slash game of crimes. If you want to hear what the end of this story is about how Timothy McVeigh was actually caught, how Trooper Charlie Hanger changed the course of the investigation with just a single traffic stop, including one of the most potentially incriminating pieces of information found in his patrol vehicle, you got to join in us. Patreon.com slash game of crimes. We've got over 80 pieces of original content on there. Things we do like 911, what's your emergency, to things like you can't make this shit up, some of the funniest stories you probably have never heard of. We also do things like our live stream review, Patriots Day. We've got Case of the Month. We've got uh, our bonus episodes. And in fact, we've got coming up, if you are at the right level, we will have probably a 16-part episode on the Real DEA talking about the Real DEA Narcos Cali Edition about how Chris Feistel and Dave Mitchell brought down the four horsemen, the four gentlemen of the Cali cartel. Details you will not hear anywhere else, including on Narcos Netflix, only on Game of Crimes, over here at Patreon. More information about how to join is in the podcast description. So once again, become a player in the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes, only found at patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose.